Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. I, uh, speaking of making a difference, I looked at my wife. You know, by the way, in case you haven't been here, we did. Ha- we had our third child. So she's... I know they showed a picture last week. They probably don't have it to throw it back up there. If they do, that you guys can. But um, she's absolutely gorgeous. She looks just like me. I'm just saying. We had this baby. Her name is Novi Sophia. Uh, she's so beautiful. But we had this baby. And Jennifer has been praying, like fasting, believing God that this baby would look like her. But not a chance. My genes are too strong. What can I say? But, um, you know, it's, it's so amazing to now have three kids. I mean, we have a nine-year-old boy. Uh, Liam, we have a six-year-old son, Nixon, and now we have this one-week-old Novi, Novi Sophia. And by the way, her name Novi is short for Noe Valley because for years we were praying about having a child and we felt like the Lord said, push pause on that and I want you to plant this church in Noe Valley. And if you'll be faithful with that, I'm going to be faithful to the promise to give you a little girl. And God gave us this little girl. And so we named her Novi after the faithfulness of God to plant a church in Noe Valley. And so, uh, yeah, isn't that good? So uh, the, the other day, I'm, I'm looking at Jennifer in the hospital, and I'm sitting there, and I, I just look, I'm just like staring at her. She's like, what? What are, you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you looking at? And I was like, do you realize... If you never make another contribution to humanity, like for the rest of your life, you have given the world these three, unbe- you've given the world three human beings. Like you have a birth. And by the way, she went all natural too. Hello. Uh, I don't know how she did that. I was just like, dear Lord, how mercy. And, um, and uh, but I looked at her and I was like, babe, you, 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 have, you have given the world, three human beings. I was like, if you never make another contribution, like you have made a difference. She looks at me, kind of a smirk on her face. She goes, well, we don't need to be so quick to make that conclusion. We need to wait to see how they turn out, okay? <laughs> and so I know that Jennifer's watching at home right now. We love you. We miss you. We can't wait to see you back here hanging with us. So, um, but, you know, I think this, that I was thinking about the city that we live in here and, and even in the Bay Area, if you're maybe driving over from a different, different town or whatever, a lot of people move to this city or to this region um, from other places. Like, it's very rare that I meet someone that is actually uh, a native here, like born here. Like, like, it's almost like, by a show of hands, how many of you, you, you were born, you're, you're, come, we should clap our hands. Look, look at that. Listen. You guys are like unicorns. Like, you, I never, every person I meet is like, yeah, I'm from Delaware or I'm from Paducah, Kentucky or wherever that is. Like, ran, the most random places. Um, but people do. People, and, and, we, and I, I'm serious. I know we're laughing. I do honor you that those of you that are here, that you were born and raised in San Francisco, I know you've seen a lot of change. You've seen a lot of outsiders come in. Gentrification, you've seen people come in and, and take advantage of the city. Many people just move to the city to pillage the city. Very few people come to the city to make, make it better and brighter. So I say we honor you because you've, you've stayed here. A lot of people have, have, have been driven out of the city, but we do honor you for that. But as a church, we came to the city not to take from the city, but to give back to the city, to be a blessing to the city. The Bible says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you. Pray for it. If it prospers, you'll prosper. So we're not seeking our prosperity as a church. We're seeking the prosperity of this city. We want to be a blessing to this city. And, um, but, you know, I, I was thinking about this. A lot of people move to this city, and, th- and I'm not saying that this is anybody in this room. But I think a lot of people do move to this city in this region because we want to make a dollar. 
but I think that, that what God, when we look at his word, is not that it's wrong to make money or to be successful or any of those things. The Bible says it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. This infatuation, obsession, and being driven with making a dollar. When I believe that, that what God wants is for his people not to be obsessed with making a dollar, but obsessed with making a difference. Yeah. That we don't trade those things. And, and, and by the way, they're not at odds with each other, like you can make a dollar and make a difference. Like I believe that God actually wants to bring blessings to your life and bless your life and bring prosperity to your life, but not just so, so that he can bring blessings to you, but so that he can bring blessings through you so that you can be a blessing to other people. We are blessed to be a, to be a blessing. That's not just some Christian churchy, Christianese language. That is a legitimate thing. Like that's Bible. Like, like Genesis 12, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. So, so it's not that it's wrong to make a dollar, but I think a lot of times we can be distracted from making a difference because we get so consumed and concerned with making a dollar. And sometimes maybe it's not money that, that distract us. Sometimes it's just life, right? It's, for me, it's the soccer games, it's the baseball games, it's having another child, it's just busy with all the things you got to take care of at your house and work, 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 work. That'd be a great time. Work, work, work. Anyway, stop. You guys are terrible. But I think we have to remind ourselves this, is that you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, and by the way, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, it's totally okay. Like, I hope you feel right at home to be here with us. Hope you never feel judged, you never feel like you're, you're an outsider. We welcome you here. But I do want to speak for a moment to those of you that you, you do, like you're like me and you say, we, we've, we've kind of put ourselves out there and said, I am a follower of Jesus. Let me just remind all of us today, in case we have forgotten, and we oftentimes do, I do, is that we are on a mission is that you and I as Christians, we have been mandated by God. We have been given a mission by God. We have this mission. It's to make a difference. It's to make a difference in the world and in people's lives, not just for right now, like not just for like this temporary thing. Like, yes, we should seek to make a difference through creating new technology that's going to help uh, human flourishing. And we should seek to discover medical, you know, cures for diseases and it will help with human flourishing. We should seek to discover all those things. We should seek to write beautiful music and to create beautiful art and all that's for human flourishing. And we can make a difference that way. But make no mistake about it the greatest difference that you and I can make is partnering with God for eternal purposes, to see people that are lost come to find Jesus, to see people that are broken come to find healing and freedom in their life. And, and here's what I'm saying to you, the difference that you're called to make and that I'm called to make, the mission that we have been given is to make an eternal impact. That is to impact eternity, not just right now, not just the next 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, but God has blessed you and he's blessed me and he saved us so that we can make a difference to keep populating heaven and to keep plundering hell, to keep seeing people that are lost come to faith in Jesus, to keep see, seeing people that are seeking and searching and that are empty and the broken come to a place where they're fulfilled. That is what we are called to do. That is the difference we've been called to make. Now listen, if you don't believe me, then you can just look at what Jesus said in John chapter 17. Jesus said this, he said, John chapter 17, he said, in the same way or in the same manner that you, Father, have given me a mission. You gave me a mission, Jesus says. The son says to the father, in the same way you gave me a mission. What was his mission? Look over in the book of Luke. He says this, uh, for the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That's gospel, to preach good news. And by the way, that is good news to uh, li literally poor people, but it's also those that are, that are bankrupt spiritually. He says, I wanna give good news to people that are spiritually bankrupt. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, 
to set the captive free, to open the eyes of the blind, and to declare the favorable year of our Lord, that God's favor is available to people. See, that, that is the mission. Jesus is like, my mission is an eternal mission. It is a spiritual mission. It's not just to help people to do good, which he did that, but it was more than that. It was to do good, but it was also to make an eternal impact in the earth. That was why he came. And he says, Father, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Here's what he's saying. In other words, he's like, you gave me a mission, and in that same way, the same mission you gave me, I'm going to leave this earth. I'm, this is after the death, burial, and now this is right before the resurrection, or right, right after the resurrection, right before the ascension. He says, I'm going to leave this earth, and now I'm going to pass the baton to them. He's talking about his followers. I'm giving them the same mission you gave me, Father. I'm going to leave them with this stewardship. I'm going to give them an assignment, and, and my expectation is that they're going to be faithful with the assignment, and I'm going to come back one day and I'm going to check on, see how things have gone. And that's the reality. And I love it because we see this, I think, best illustrated in Jesus's teachings in Matthew chapter 25. And, th and this is what I want to take the next few moments and, and unpack for you today is that I believe that Jesus was here on earth for 33 years and he was making a difference in people's lives. Practically, he was feeding people. He was healing people. He was encouraging people. He was coming alongside people that were very um, disenfranchised and uh, disappointed in the religious systems of the day. He was doing some very good things, like earthly things. But he also came with this really clear mission to, to impact people's eternity so that people could spend eternity with the Father, reconciled to God. But then he, he takes this mission and he gives it to a group of people few hundred people, if you read it, the Great Commission, it's not the Great Suggestion, by the way, it's the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, it says baptize people, which we'll do today, uh, baptize people, and it says, man, teach people to follow me, teach them to obey my words, and he says, and here's what you need to know, I'm going to be with you when you do this. How many you know that the presence of God is with a group of people when they stay committed to the mission that he gives them? Churches that you go into that feel like they're like, they're, I don't sense the presence of God. I'm not trying to hate on them at all. I'm not trying to throw any shade today, this Sunday morning. But I'm just telling you this. When you go into a church and you don't sense the presence of God, 10 times out of 10, it's because that church is not in alignment with the mission that God gave them. Is that they have abandoned eternal, making an eternal difference. They're no longer proclaiming the gospel. They're just preaching on a soapbox, things that they don't like. They're no longer baptizing people. Their baptismal hasn't been filled with water in years. Why? Because they're not in alignment. I need to stop there. I'm just going to preach that way too much. Y'all give me all. Y'all haven't preached in two weeks. You know I'm going to get excited. Somebody said, preach. I believe I will. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew chapter 25. Um, we're all adults here, so hang in here. I usually don't read these many verses. But I'm going to read all of these verses because they really don't take much commentary. And then I'm going to give you three little points like every good preacher does. And they're all going to start with a T, okay? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25, though. Uh, give you some context here. Matthew 25, Matthew 25, when you read all three sections of Matthew 25 that Jesus is teaching, he is teaching about eternity. He's teaching about his people being ready when he returns. The Bible says that Jesus, he has ascended, and now we are at the hands and feet of Jesus doing his work in the earth today. But there will come a day when Jesus Christ, he will return. And he will be returning for two things, to judge the world, and he's returning for his bride, which is the church. Those are the two things he's returning to do. 
He's returning to judge the world. He's returning for his bride, to, to bring his, his bride to him in glory. That's what we know that the scriptures say. In Matthew 25, this is basically, it's three sections that Jesus is teaching about, about people being ready for when he does return. And there's actually, there's, there's some things that he says in here that gives us an indicator. And it's actually like a measuring stick for, for us to be able to tell, like, am I ready for Jesus to return? And he's talking about making a difference for eternity. But here, here you go. I'm just going to read the parable of the talents. You've probably, you've probably read this before. But he says this. Again, he's just finished with um, the, uh, telling a parable of the ten virgins. Uh, and that sounds funny, me just saying that if you have no context. But go read it when you get a chance. Uh, the next one is the parable of the talents. And the last one is uh, whenever he comes back to judge uh, the earth. But look, parable of the talents. Again, it says heaven's kingdom or the kingdom of God is like the wealthy man who went Along, who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. And he says this, he says, before he left on his journey, he entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to one of his servants, to another a bag of 2,000 gold coins, and a third a bag of 1,000 gold coins, each according to his ability to manage it. So he gives everybody something, but he gives them something according to their ability and their capacity. He goes on and he says, the one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately went out, immediately, like urgency. Immediately he went out and he traded with the money and he doubled his investment. Verse 17, in the same way, the one who was entrusted with 2,000 gold coins traded with the sum and likewise, he doubled his investment. Verse 18, but the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins, he dug a hole in the ground and he buried his master's money. After much time had passed, the master returned to settle accounts with his servants. The one who was entrusted, who was entrusted with 5,000 gold coins came and brought 10,000 saying, see, I've doubled your money. Uh, commending his servant, the master replied, you have done well. And look at this. And you have proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant. And because you have been a faithful steward to manage a small sum, now I'll put you in charge of much, much, much more. You will experience the delight or the joy of your master who will say to you, come, celebrate with me. I'm gonna throw a party with you. And then verse 22, he says, then the one who had been entrusted with 2,000 gold coins came in and he said, see my master, I've doubled what you entrusted to me. Commending his servant, the master replied, you have done well and you have proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant. Because you were faithful to manage a small sum, now I will put you in charge of much, much more. You will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, come celebrate with me. Verse 24, then, dun, 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 dun. Then the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins came to his master and he said, look, sir, I know that you are a hard man to please. Who told him that? What an assumption. He says, um, I know that you're a hard man to please and you're a steward, or sorry, and you're a shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the backs of others. I was afraid of you, so I went and I hid your money and I buried it in the ground. But here, here it is. Take it, it's yours. I'm giving it back to you the way you gave it to me. Sounds like good management, doesn't it? It's not. Angered by what he heard, the master said to him, you're an untrustworthy and lazy servant. This sounds so hardcore, right? It says, if I knew, or sorry, if you knew I was a shrewd, ruthless businessman who always makes a profit, well, why didn't you at least just deposit my money in the bank? Then I would have received it all back with interest when I return. But because you were unfaithful, unfaithful, because you're unfaithful, I will take the 1,000 gold coins and I will give them to the one who has 10,000. For the one who has will be given more until he overflows with abundance. 
So, so God wants to bring more blessing to faithful stewards so that they'll overflow with abundance. So when you've been faithful with a little, God's going to give you a lot more. That's, that's just good right there. And the one with hardly anything, even what little he has will be taken from him. Then the master said to his other servants, this one's a hard one. Take a deep breath, church. Now throw that good for nothing servant far away from me into outer darkness where there will be misery and anguish. And everybody said amen. That's a tough one to say amen to, right? Here, here's what I want to, in my remaining time, this is the title. I, I titled this, I feel like I gave it to me, was A Buried Opportunity. A Buried Opportunity. It, this is a teaching about a buried opportunity. Now, here's the thing. Each section in this chapter is about, as I said, Christ returning for his church and the focus is on the readiness of his followers when he returns. It's clear by the way the chapter wraps up that Jesus wants them to know. Listen to me. He wants his audience to know that he will one day return and he will judge every person for what they did with what they were entrusted with. All of these parables and principles are his way of admonishing them and us. I want you to be ready for that day. This is what it is about. And this is the big idea of Matthew 25. They're going to put it on the screen. You can take a picture, write it down. This is, I think, when you, when you read different, different commentaries, different theologians, as they piece together the three different sections, this is the one big idea they're trying to make, that Jesus is trying to make. Jesus will return, and our readiness is revealed by our stewardship of the resources he has given us. It's with the oil. In the first section, it's with the talents. In the second section, which is money. And in the third section, it's with the, the, the materials that he's given us. It, it was, you know, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, giving the thirsty water. And this whole idea that Jesus is trying to say is this, is that there are some people when I return, they're going to be ready because they're going to have stewarded everything I've entrusted them with well. And they'll be able to stand before me with confidence, knowing that we did our very best our very best with what we were given. Every bit of resource, it doesn't matter if it's money, if it's time, if it's treasure, everything that I was given, I saw it as I am not the owner, but I am the steward. He is the owner, I am the steward, and I'm going to use his money to make his difference that he wants to make. This money that he's given me, the talents that he's given me, the opportunities that he's given me, the job that he's given me, the training that he's given me, the good looks that he's given me, whatever it may be, I will leverage all of it, not for my kingdom, but for his kingdom. And our readiness is revealed by our stewardship of the resources that he has entrusted into our life. And you see just the converse. The people that were not ready were the people that squandered their resource. They wasted it or they spent it, but they didn't invest it. And then what I want to talk to you about for the next few moments here is just these three things, the three T's I told you about, that for church history, as long as I can look back, people always talk about these three categories because I think it's this, is that a lot of times we can look at other people's lives and we'll compare our life to theirs and we'll think, well, if I had what they have, I could do what they're doing. Or if I had the same opportunity she has, then maybe I could make a difference. Oh, if I could sing like he can sing, then maybe I could make a difference. If I grew up, uh, if I grew up on that side of the tracks, maybe I could make a difference. If I had an education like they were for, then I could, no, no, listen, I think that some of those things do come in play many times because of the broken world that we live in. However, I think the reason why church for the longest time, and I think scripture always brings it back to these main three things, is because we've, it levels the playing field. We have all been given these three things. It's time, it's talent, and it's treasure. It's time, it's talent, and it's treasure. Every single one of us, at different capacities, according to what God believed you could be entrusted with. God gave you time, 
He gave you talent and he gave you treasure. And I wanna break those down for a moment because here's the choice that you and I have to make as followers of Jesus, really as, as, as human beings, is will you, will you waste your time? Will you spend your time? Will you invest your time? Will you waste your talent? Will you spend your talent? Or you invest your talent? Will you waste your treasure? Will you spend your treasure? Or will you invest your treasure? And what we also see from Matthew 25, when, when the master returns, he looks for people that have been faithful and that have a, have, have a great potential uh, ROI, return on investment. And he says, I'm going to invest more in those that have the greatest potential for return on investment. And I think this is, the, this is the point for us. I think that when you and I begin to look at our time, our talent, and our treasure, we should, as wise stewards, say, who are, or where are the best places and who are the best people that I can invest my time, my talent, and my treasure for the greatest return on that investment? Not just for our life, but for the kingdom of God. Okay? So here's the first one, time. In Matthew 25, they're all given an undisclosed amount of time. We don't know. He doesn't say, I'm going to be gone for six months. I'm going to come back and, I'll, and you better double my money. He doesn't say that. He just says, I'm going away. Doesn't say when he's, how long he's going away. Doesn't say when he's coming back. He just says, I'm giving you some time and I'm not telling you how long that is. Every single one of us, we've been given time. There's no such thing as time management, only time stewardship. Every single one of us have been given something. I don't know if you've ever gone to that app before. I forget what it's called, but it's like this app you put in your, your, date, your uh, date of birth and it gives you the average of how long you'll live. I'm like 50,000 days in and I think I have like 50,000 days left, which is a scary thing when you look at it. It tells you like your date of death, which is weird. You give them your date of birth, they give you the date of death. It's kind of a scary thing. But I'll tell you what, when you begin to number your days, you'll start doing things a little bit differently. You know what I'm saying? Some of you in here, you're like 60 looks really good because you're 50. But when you were 20, 60 was like, that's so old. But now you're like, I'm in my best years. What are you talking about? You know, but we've all been given a, a certain capacity of time. Now we, we don't know what that is. Like you could die tomorrow. Hopefully you don't. I'll do your funeral if you want me to, but you could die tomorrow. You could die in, in 20 years, 30 years. We've all been given a different level of time. But regardless, regardless, we just have to understand it is limited. Like you have a limited time. And I think that we should budget our time the same way we budget our money. And the reason why some people waste their time or don't spend their time well, usually you can trace it back to they're probably not good stewards of their resources as well, their finances. Because people that are bad stewards of finances use their bad stewards of time. It's just the way it's connected. It's a, because it's not about, it's not about the, the time. It's not about the money. It's about a principle, which is the principle of stewardship. And stewardship is not just something that you do. It's who you are. You are a steward. Time. Time is this limited thing that we all have. And we have to have this sense of urgency. Not panic, not anxiety. But every single one of us, we should have a sense of urgency. I have a limited amount of this stuff. And it's very valuable. It's very precious. And I don't want to just waste it. I want to spend it properly. And I want to spend it in the places that are going to have the greatest return on the investment. Look at what Jesus said. Because I think that wise people do understand this principle. Every wise leader I've ever met or I've ever read any of their work, any of their books, every one of those great leaders that are very, very wise, that I admire, that I revere, that I respect, all of them talk about time stewardship. They may call it time management, but I think that I'm right. It's time stewardship. Um, but Jesus, wisest leader, wouldn't you say wisest leader to ever walk this earth? Here's what Jesus said we, in John chapter 9. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us. So look at that urgency. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us, the Father. Look at what he says. The night is coming 
and then no one can work. This is a very ancient Eastern way to say time is limited. The night is coming. They did ministry at night. So he's not being literal saying night is coming and we can't work. He's saying time is running out. Time is limited. The hourglass has, has flipped upside down. We have limited time, so we better get to work doing the Father's business. And he's saying specifically, we, we don't need to waste time on things that are not our assignment. We need to make sure that we're engaging in our assignment. You need to write this down. Wise people, this is so good. I could probably say amen after this, okay? Write it down. It's really good. Hopefully it's good because I've set it up, right? I've pumped it up. And you're like, oh, seriously, Jason? Okay, here it goes. Wise people know the difference between opportunities and assignments. There's a lot of things that are opportunities, but they're not assignments from God. I get opportunities to travel and speak all the time, but they're not assignments. God's only graced me for assignments, not opportunities. See, an, an assignment is a God-given opportunity. Just an opportunity is a man's opportunity that's come my way. It may be a good opportunity, but if it's not a God opportunity, I'm not graced and anointed for it, and it's not going to bring the type of return that, that I could make if I just said yes to assignments. Here's one of the best practices that you can make in your life. Lord, whenever you have opportunities come your way, a new job, a new promotion, a new girl, a new guy, a new whatever, when it comes your way, you should pray and say, Lord, is this an opportunity? Or is this an assignment? Because if it's not an assignment, an opportunity can become a distraction from your assignment. A lot of people are distracted from the, their eternal assignment because they're distracted with good opportunities. There's a lot of people that have a kingdom assignment to make a difference in the world, but they've been distracted by just making money or just doing something over here, and they're distracted with an opportunity. If the devil can't make you evil, he's going to make you distracted. That's what he's going to do. He's going to throw something at you that's going to look so sexy. Like if you just jump and go after this, your life's going to be better. Listen, your life may be better, but the assignment that God had for you was to use your life and leverage your resources to make a difference in someone's life so that their life would be better. And there is no greater fulfillment than when you get used by God on one of his assignments to see somebody come to faith in Jesus, to see somebody find freedom or fulfillment. There's nothing more fulfilling. Man we got to say yes to the right assignment. Psalms chapter 90 says this. It says, teach us. The psalmist said, teach us, Lord. So this is something we need to learn. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I think a lot of times we're not wise with our time because we haven't taken the time to realize that our days are numbered. Listen to me, sir. Your days are numbered. That's not to sound bad. You're alive. Listen, check your pulse. You're alive. This is a good day. This is good news. This is gospel for you right here. You are alive and breathing, but don't waste your time. Be quick to do the assignments that God has called you to do. I had this guy I was friends with. He taught me this lesson about time stewardship. His name was Julio Malera. Julio. He would say this. It's not who you know, it's Julio. It's like, who says that? But he's a successful, successful business guy. Really successful business guy. And him and I, were, we were going down to speak at this school, uh, bon, I think it's called Bonneville High School in New Orleans. Very, very like just, just really rough school. And we were going to, to basically, he had to speak for 30 minutes on a character trait of like, being excellent, this public school. And he brought me with him because I was a youth pastor. And we are on the ride there. He goes, listen, I'm going to speak for about three minutes because he was an alumni from there. He goes, I'm going to speak for about three minutes because I don't do gigs like this. And I brought you because you're a youth pastor. You're going to get up and you're going to preach to him for 25 minutes. I'm like, Seriously? So we go there. It was very bad. It was a terrible experience. But, but the, the car ride was priceless. On the way back, I just started, I'm, anytime you're with a leader, you need to know this. Anytime you're with a leader that has gone somewhere farther, faster than you have, you need to just ask them questions. Don't be the expert. Be a student. So I start asking them questions. I'm like, Julio, I'm like, how do you do this? How do you do that? Well, one of the things was he travels and speaks. 
does seminars and he teaches some of the wisdom, business wisdom kind of insights that he's learned. I said, Julio, do you charge money when you travel and speak like to share like that wisdom? And I'll never forget him going, absolutely not. Why would I ever charge for the wisdom that God has given me? I want to give that away freely. Then he goes, however, I do charge for my time. <laughs> and I said, we both started laughing and he just used it as a principle. He said, you know, Jason, he goes, I do, I do actually have uh, a fee that I charge when I do consulting and I travel. And he goes, but I, I goes, I promise you this, I'm not charging people for the content because God gave me that. He said, but I do charge people for my time because if I say yes to them, I'm saying no to something else. And my time, he looked at me, he said, I only, Jason, look at me. He stopped the car. Jason, look at me. I only have so much time and you only have so much time. He said, you better steward it well. Um, it's interesting that, um, that I, was, I was studying one time. You know, in Greek mythology, I'm not into Greek mythology, but I like to study all things so that I can figure out how to have meaningful conversations with people that believe different things for me. But I was studying a little Greek mythology one time. And you know, I didn't put the picture on the screen because I didn't know if kids would be in here, but Kronos, uh, the father of time, in Greek mythology. If you've ever seen some of the paintings that have been depicted of him, um, it's, it's very gross. It's very, very, very disgusting. He's actually, he's holding his children and he's eating his sons. He's eat, it's, it's terrible. He's devouring them. He's consuming his children. And there's, there's different people that have written why he's doing that. But he's, he's holding his children in these paintings, father of time, chronos, chronological is where we get that from. So he's, he's, he's devouring his kids and literally, he's consuming, the father of time is consuming his legacy. He's destroying and devouring his legacy. I thought about that as gross of a picture as that, as that is. I think that's oftentimes the picture of America. That we get, we get so consumed with our careers that we devour our legacy, which a lot of times it actually is literally our children. We spend so much time, and we can even do it in ministry, 50, 60, 70 hours, gone every night of the week, and our children, our legacy are being devoured because we're not stewarding our time well. I just want to encourage you, steward your time well. And here's, here's a little pro tip for you. Invest in important relationships, your family, your friends, maybe even your coworkers, the people that you work with. You wonder why sometimes those relationships aren't, or work is not going well. It's because maybe you haven't invested in those relationships. Invest in the key relationships. Invest in leadership. If you're a business person here, or if you're in leadership here, listen, everybody can't get your time. Everybody in your organization cannot get your time. They say that the whole Pareto principle, 2080, right? 20% 20 of the people do 80% of the work. You should invest 80% of your time in the 20%. Invest your time in the people that are going to bring the greatest ROI in your business. You should do that. This is just a principle that you should do. But invest in leadership. Invest in the church. Listen, here's one of the investments of your time. Right now, you're investing in this church by you being here. You know why? Because we need your faith in this room. We need your expectancy in this room. We need your gift in this room. We need your contribution in your room. We need your praise in this room. We need your worship in this room. We need your smile in this room. We need you in this room. This is an investment of your time into this church. But listen, it's also investment into you. Hopefully, when you leave here, you're encouraged, you're built up, that you're inspired, that you're challenged, that you don't leave here like madder than, you know, when you came in or more discouraged when you came here. Listen, this is a place where we want you to enjoy church, not endure it. So thank you for investing your time here. But do it every Sunday. Try to be here every Sunday. I want to call you. Listen, church, I'm going to stand up for this one. Here, let me be pastor for a moment. I want to encourage you. I mean, I'm proud of you right now. This is Memorial. You could be up in Tahoe swimming around somewhere doing something fun. And said you're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to make church a priority. Thank you for that. I say this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for being here. I planned on being here. So 
I was telling somebody the other day, this pastor, he asked me, he goes, what would happen? There was a pastor in the city. He goes, man, people at my church, he goes, they never come to church. He goes, they come to church like once every five, six weeks. What about you? And I was like, my people come every Sunday. <laughs> I just made him feel all bad. And uh, he said, he looked at me, he goes, what do you think would happen if I just didn't show up for six weeks? And I was like, I don't know. Don't try that, bro. You ain't gonna have a church after that. You know what I'm saying? But um, invest in church, invest your time in church, invest in small groups, invest in, like, that's a good investment. I believe... I say it like this, if you'll give this church one year of your life to invest your time into Sundays, to invest your time into small group, to invest your time into going on outreaches, be a part of serving this community, if you'll, if you'll commit to one year of just doing what we ask you to do, come on this journey with us, I promise you, your life will be different. Oh, we'll give you all your money back. I mean, I don't even know how that works, but you know. Your life will be different. Your life will be changed. Amen. Invest your time in church, personal growth. Wake up a little bit early in the morning. Invest your time. Don't waste your mornings. Don't turn on the TV and just sit there and like, I'm going to watch Golden Girls before I go to work. What? Come on. Serious? Stay up all night long binging on Game of Thrones. Come on. Like, let's spend some time reading the word, reading some leadership books. Invest your time. I'm telling you, here's the ROI. It's not just that you'll get better. The people around you will get better because as you get better, your world's going to get better. There you go. I got to hurry up. I just have a few more minutes and I have two, two final points. The second one, I don't have to take that much time on, but talents. Here's, here's another one with, with, with uh, our investment is you have talents that you've been given. Now, Nate talked about talents uh, from the different scriptures, uh, specifically about the spiritual gifts you've been given. But in Matthew chapter 25, the word talents, the original language there, it really just means resource. That's why in different translations, you'll see talent, bags of coins, silver, gold. You'll see different things in different translations because the original language just means it's a resource that someone else entrusted you with to steward and to manage. And so it's, it's, we actually have to broaden talent to mean a lot more than just a special gift. I think a lot of times when we hear talent, we think America's got talent, you know, and the gold buttons push and the glitter comes from the sky and everything. It's someone that's talented to like juggle or talented to sing or talented to do. It's some special hidden talent. Talent is broader. Talent could be the ability to sing. It could be a skill uh, to lead or to administrate. It could be those things. It also could be this. It's a resource that you've been entrusted with. It could be exposure. Maybe you've been gifted by God with exposure. You've been exposed to certain things. I, I, think, I think back to the kids who were in the zip code in Baton Rouge. is one of the most impoverished zip codes and highest crime zip codes in Baton Rouge uh, in this windborne area that we used to serve at a church years ago. And I remember talking with some of these, some of these um, people that were working in that, that community, and they said that if we can just get these kids out of the community and take them places and expose them to greater things, it'll expand their vision. And I just think about that. A lot of times, one of the resources we've been given is just exposure. And we can, we can actually leverage that. We can leverage the ability to sing or to, to teach or to preach or to communicate, all these things. But there's also, there's other things that you've been given that you may not see as a gift. Like I think about, I was at, a, at an organization and they paid $8,000 for me to be trained in something called StratOps. It's strategic planning and consulting. They pay, they gifted that to me. Like, we just want to make your life, we want to make your leadership better. We're going to gift this to you. And I realized I could use that and I could, I could do that for free. I could charge people money to do that at organizations or churches. But instead, I get to go to churches or to nonprofits or people that are trying to do things. And I can, I can use that because I was exposed to that. I can leverage that and gift that to them. Like, that's a talent. That's something that God has given me. Some of you, it's, it's just the fact that you're very intelligent. 
That's a talent. Like, I don't have that talent, okay? You're very talented. You, you have a gift. What if, what if you have that gift of understanding that God could use you? Maybe you're not called to be a teacher. Maybe you work at some tech company. But what if God could use you in a mentoring program? That's a talent. And God, God will, he's going he's gonna to return one day. He's going to say, I gave you that talent. He gave you that. You didn't, you didn't earn that. You maybe went to school for that, but he gave you that understanding. And that's a talent. I think about 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, each of you should use whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever ability, whatever skill, whatever thing you've been exposed to and been given, whatever resource, use it. And use it to, that, that thing that you've received, use it to serve others as what? As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Listen, I was given a gift to communicate, so I use it to serve others. I was given the gift, uh, the gift and, uh, of grace to be able to forgive my dad, like God gave me that gift, and now I use it to encourage other people to forgive people that have hurt them. I was given the gift of training and strategic coaching, so I use it to serve nonprofits and churches. I was given the experience of being a youth pastor for 17 years. Guess what I do? Next week, I'll go and I'll coach about 100 youth pastors on how to do effective youth ministry, and I'll just go and I'll give that to them, right? Listen, I was given the experience of church planning, so you know what I do? Every week, I set up phone calls for free with a bunch of church planners that they don't have a clue the stuff they're getting themselves into. But I do. I've had some successes and some failures on this journey. I've learned a lot on this journey. I'm not an expert, but man, I freely receive and I freely give them what I've received. I don't know if you know this about you as a church. I want you to listen to this, that we have been gifted by God with some of the most phenomenal people on our dream team that serve in greeting, that serve in our kids' ministry, that serve in worship, serve in the parking lot. We have some of the most gifted people. One of the groups of people that's very gifted is we have a group of, they're volunteer, they, they're creatives. They create videos like, like the story you saw earlier, videos and graphics and all the beautiful art that you see around here. They do all that for free for you, okay? They volunteer that for you. It's a gift that God's given them and they use that gift to serve you. But watch this. We have probably over a hundred churches. You don't know, you didn't know this, but I'm gonna tell you this. We have probably over a hundred churches that we take all of our, our, our digital assets, all of our creative assets, every video we make, every graphic we make, every design we make, every sermon we preach, every series and collection that we do, we take all of it and every single week we give it away to probably a dozen churches all around the nation for free. You do that. Why? Because it was a talent God entrusted to us and now we wanna use it to make a difference in his kingdom. You do that every single week. <laughs> Ephesians says he has given each one a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them, say, I'm special. You got to shrug your shoulders when you say to I'm special. You're special. You are. But I think, listen to me, I think all too often we do like the unfaithful steward in Matthew 25 and we bury our talents because we don't see how valuable and special that they are. Miles Monroe said this. He said, the wealthiest place in the world is not the gold mines of South, South America or the fields of Iraq or Iran. He says, they are not the diamond mines of South, Amer South Africa or the banks of the world. The wealthiest place on the planet is just down the street. It is the cemetery. There lie buried companies that were never started, inventions that were never made, best-selling books that were never written, and masterpieces that were never painted. In the cemetery is buried the greatest treasure of hidden talents and untapped potential. Listen, don't bury your talents. Some of you, listen, if you're still alive, all you got to do, just look, you're going to remember me doing this with my little crop pants on, showing off too much ankle. Listen, you can dig back up those talents. You're not dead, dig it up. You're not dead, dig it up. You're not dead, dig it up. And you need to use it to build the church, 
to establish the kingdom and to make an eternal difference in the kingdom of God. Amen? I don't have time for my last point. It was, it was on treasure, which was about money, which probably you're excited that I'm not talking about money for the remainder of the time. Um, but here's what it is. I'll, I'll wrap it up in, in 60 seconds. Is God has given every single one of us resources. And I want to say thank you for those of you that you, you have been committed givers to this church. You may not know this or not, but no one underwrites this. You do. You're underwriting what we do. Now, I had to raise a lot of money to be able to, to launch this church and do what we're doing. And, uh, and God's been faithful in that way. But the way that we, we sustain this ministry is through the faithfulness of your generosity. The reason why we can do this and the reason why we'll continue to do this and we'll expand doing even more things like, like this is because of your sacrifice, because of your giving, because of your generosity. And I can't think of a better ROI than investing in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not coming back for, a non, for just any nonprofit. Jesus is not coming back for any hospital. Jesus is not coming back for any business or any tech company. Thank God for all of them. They make our world better. They make our life better. Thank God for Lyft and for Uber and for Channon Zuckerberg and for Facebook and for Instagram. Thank God because it makes our life better. But Jesus Jesus Christ, he will return for the church. He will return for his bride because it is his bride that he longs for. This church he's obsessed with. And that's why we give because his church is growing. His family is enlarging. Today, we will baptize at least 15 people that will go public and say, thank you for your giving. Because of your giving, they said yes to Jesus. They have found spiritual family. That is why we give. That is why we're stewards of our resources. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving. Not only does your giving go towards this church, you know that we take a portion of the giving that goes to this church and we plant churches. We, we've, we've planted over 800 churches through an organization called ARC. We planted, how many did we plant in the spring, this spring? We planted 35 churches in America, just like this. How many people were at that Sunday service? 9,000 people, about 9,000 people were at those Sunday services. Hundreds of people came to faith in Christ. We'll plant another 40 churches in the fall. And you do that with your giving because our, the money that you give is not just about us. It's not just about this church. It's not just about what we're doing. It's about building the kingdom all over America and all over the world. And your resources do it. Your tithe does that, honoring God with the first of your income. Your sacrificial giving does that. And I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for giving for the way that you give. Let's keep leveraging every bit of our time, our talent, and our treasure to build the kingdom of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.